I'm wearing pants. I'm wearing pants. Isn't that cool? Oh my god, it's so cold. But your 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 boy just said it's pajama day. Well, yeah, it's for them, for the kids. They're on fall break. Oh. But for me, it's like the first day of the year that's not 90 degrees. So I'm wearing pants. Uh, it is a little chilly. That's not interesting to anybody else, but I love wearing jeans. I don't know why. <laughs> I I would prefer to wear like long pants all year long if it weren't too hot. But it's been so hot here. We've had soccer games and we've been playing in like high 80s, mid 90s, you know, like all the time. And so for it to finally drop down into the 60s is pretty awesome. You know, it was in the it 30s is. this weekend up here. We had the Whoa. we had the blacksmithing oh class goodness. and it was cold. We got good weather all weekend, thank God. Saturday and Sunday were really nice, but Friday night it went down but, to I like mean, 35. Is is that good for a blacksmithing class though? It seems it like is. you you would just be around heat all the yeah, time. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, but if you weren't moving you were chilly. And in the yeah. evening it got super cold and Everybody's making fun of me, like being like the cheap dad, saying because I don't want to turn the heat up because it's expensive. So. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Turn the heat Just up." Just go stand dude. by the forge. Exactly. Make something. Keep moving. Where I was, it was ninety degrees. Yeah. Uh, it Where was, were you? It was. It was cold. It went from being hot on mm-hmm. Thursday to Friday, being like, "Okay, find a jacket you're comfortable with because you're going to need it all day." Yeah, but it was nice. So, how was the class? The class went great. The class went great. There's still some people here, I think. I'm hiding in my office. I hear people moving around. Yeah, so most people are going early this morning, but the class was great. It was a free form blacksmithing class. It wasn't quite structured like a, a beginner's class. It was just let's make art and come up with a concept and a project. And everybody came up with at least two projects and a lot of experimentation and. It was great because we realized, me and Chris Cash, who, who was the teacher, we realized the idea, like all these beginner techniques, which a lot of other classes focus on, they're all in play when you just do anything. So we could talk a little bit about beginner techniques, and then you jump into your vision, and while you're in your vision, all these beginner techniques begin to develop as regular techniques for you. And so it was just a little bit of a different approach. We knew it was going to be a little strange, but it turned out great. Like we were just a little nervous doing like a straight up art class, kind of like what you did, Dave, where it's just like a straight up, let me create a piece of art. And there's some functional art, some just static art. It was some really, really great, beautiful solutions. And I was experimenting the whole time. I made this knife. See that big, big knife I made? Look. Dun, 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 dun. Look, it's still coming into camera. It's still coming into camera. Wow. It's still, it's yeah. still, it's, it's still. It's creepy. It's creepy. There it is. That is a very large knife. Yeah, and this was a piece of a leaf spring. So, huh. dun, 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 dun. Surprisingly straight. Thank you. Yeah, it took some work, but I got it. That was my learning lesson. Was. Yep. And then, then he's on his phone. <laughs> he oh, disappeared. Into <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah. Well, you know what? My buddy, do you guys remember I made like a kitchen island a few months ago? Yes. My buddy's yeah. like, hey, would you do me a favor and use social media to, to market my flip property <laughs> that you made the island for? He's hoping one of my fans will want to buy his house because my kitchen island's in there. Mm. I, I, I'm honored that he thinks I have that much power <laughs> with my fans. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll talk about cool. it later. And I don't think anybody across the entire country would be interested. But I'll talk about it on my social media locally. But yeah, no, it was a fantastic weekend. And next uh, next weekend is Maker Camp here in the Catskill area. And everybody's gearing up for that. So that's going to be another crazy weekend. And then the weekend after that is the Axe Weekend. That's going to be another crazy weekend. And then after that, I forgot. I don't think that far out. Right. <laughs> Christmas. That's right no, there. I'm going. I'm going to be in Ohio in November 22nd. I'm going to be working with the guys. There's, there's a there's a hardware store called the Hartsville Hartsville Hardware. Pretty sure that's the name of it. I'm going to do an official announcement with uh, with all the details. But I'm going to be doing uh, like a Q and A hangout with them, and we're going to be doing like a factory tour with the Weaver Leather Crew. So that's why I'm going to be there. They're, hmm. they're teaming up to do an event, Hartsville. Hardware and the Weaver Leather Crew, so I'm going to be going there. Oh, then I got to go to tech. Oh my god, there's so many things to do. <laughs> I'll say them all at the end, so you got to stick around. Yeah, sounds like an exciting list. 
David, you've been traveling. Yes. I've been traveling. I just got back home about 10 hours ago. Tell us about your trip. I uh, w- went to what is called Thanksgiving, I believe. Uh, so Ben Ueda invited me out to his place and a few other creators. And, uh, going through the list of names here. So Crafted Workshop was there. Cutworks. Um, fix this, build that. Four Eyes Furniture. Jesse, Johnny Builds, Modern Builds, uh, Mike Clifford, Mr. Build It, uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's dude, Brett, Kyle Toth, Woby Design, um, a few other people were there. It was amazing. There, we, ben just had people over uh, for like a week, and you could come and go as you please. And there basically is no... There, there is no agenda. So you just... There's tools. If you want to make stuff, you can make stuff. If you just want to hang out, you can hang out. And, um, of course, everybody is some sort of maker, so everybody was making stuff throughout the week. And it was just a good, fun time. Just uh, kind of reminded me that I need to surround myself with creative people more. Not necessarily as collabs, but just like I should go hang out with my friends more and just talk about creative stuff because I come back so inspired to do things and everybody approaches how they do something in a, in a different way. So it was, it was really, really fun. And Joshua tree is just an absolutely beautiful area of the world. Just like, man, we went hiking in the, in the national park and it was, it was so cool. They climbed a mountain. I only went up like one third of the mountain and myself, Kyle Toth and, um, uh, Johnny Brooke were like, you know what? Let's just hang out here. It looks a little too dangerous. So we let everybody else go. But, um, it was uh, such a good time. I'm still, I just got back 10 hours. So I'm still kind of comprehending everything. That did you, on, but did you guys I, stay at the house? Or did you find a place nearby? Uh, ben had some Airbnbs nearby. Oh, cool. I, um, so he has a couple places out there. He has the container house, which yeah. you all have seen, which is just crazy beautiful. And then he has another house where he actually stays at, and it's called the Maker Ranch. And it's just there's just tools everywhere. There's like a um, tools. There's like a little stage deck built out back, and it feels like you're on stage. And um, it doesn't rain there, so tools are just out all the time. So I was at the maker ranch and I actually did not get a chance to go out to the container house. Cause every time people were going out there, I was involved with something else. I know Brett made this really super cool skull pizza oven out at, at the container house, which is really cool. So, um, it was so fun. Just, I can't thank Ben enough for having me out there. Ben and, and Jesse both. It was such a great time. Yeah, it looked really awesome. Uh, I was, I mean, he invited me out, and I just couldn't swing getting out there this year. Just with we have birthdays and stuff around this time of year yeah. for the kids, and uh, but watching you guys out there, I was like, man, <laughs> I really wish I could have gone to that. Yes. Do you guys remember the Endercline pencil making jig that he invented a few months ago? Yeah. I so I I took that, and I'm here at home. I made a bunch of pencil cases. And I filmed that, and then I'm like, okay, now we're heading out west, and I took the pencil maker out there, and then me and a few people made a bunch of pencils. So the the, the video will have a starting in Ohio, ending in Joshua Tree. And then I worked with Kyle Toth on turning this little vase, and I took a glass bulb that's meant for a lamp to fit inside this segment of wood vase, and it broke on the lathe, but it broke in a way that is forcing me to be a little bit more creative. So I'm kind of glad that it broke. And so that's another video that I shot out there. And it was just everybody working together and helping each other out. Good times. Yeah, it looked like a lot of fun. Right on. Ben's always fun to hang out with no matter what. He's always inspiring. He's like... He really yeah. is inspiring. He's like Gary V in the way where he just always has like really important pearls of wisdom that he just kind of casually talks about. And all of a sudden you're like, wow. Makes you see the world differently. Often. He, he just... He just has this he's got it together like when you talk to him he's like he, he it just feels like he has it figured out whether or not he 
does or doesn't, it just feels like he has it figured <laughs> out and he's got all the advice that you want. Yeah, he has an interesting way of looking at things. It's it's refreshing and it kind of like makes you go, oh, huh, huh, I didn't think about, huh, I didn't know. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that when I'm hanging out with him. That's really awesome, smart, man. dude. You got to, I just love you his design that. style too. Yeah, for sure. Well, I didn't do anything that cool um, this week. <laughs> uh, I'm actually trying to think what we did. We went out to the farm this past week and started a project out there. Finally, um, kind of the first thing to be used. I mean, I made some barn doors out there, but this is like the first thing for us to be, uh, you know, enjoy out there. So that's pretty cool. We're going to finish that up this week. And it was, it's been so hot that I, I kept kind of waiting for the weather to break so we could go spend time outside and build some stuff outside. And it, now it finally has. So uh, hopefully we'll get to do more of that stuff. But, um, oh, I wanted to give an update. So we put our, uh, the bee, uh, the beehive video last week. And a lot of people were asking in the comments, like, you know, please give us updates on how the bees are doing, if they actually went into the hive and all that type of stuff. And I don't think I've talked about it since I did it. I don't know if I did or not. Anyway. I don't believe so. So we ended up... Oh, yeah, I guess I did kind of mention it because I talked about the beard of bees. But basically, um, we got them all moved into the hive. It took a couple of days, but they finally started all going into there. And then you have to move the hive like a, a... two feet a day. Basically you don't want to move it too far every yeah. day. And we didn't want it next to the house. We wanted it kind of up on the hill right next to the driveway, which is maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 feet away. And so, uh, every day we've been moving it over just a little bit. And then it got to where we had to cross the driveway with it. So there were several days where we couldn't use the driveway. <laughs> it's just like a beehive <laughs> sitting in the middle of the driveway. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and so we finally got it moved. We finally got it lifted up onto the kind of little retaining wall where we are keeping it. So it's finally in its place. The bees are in it. I've opened it up since then. And there are uh, new eggs. You can see new eggs so that there's new bees being produced. So that's good. There's nectar in a lot of the comb, which means uh, all the feeding that I'm doing with them is working. So they're getting food to build new comb and structure and having a store for them to feed from over the winter. So it's starting to move along. Now there's a, you know, there's a billion things that can go wrong. So I don't know that it's going to stick, but so far looking pretty good. That's going to feel good. You tackled something you knew nothing about three weeks ago and no, no thoughts of it ever. And then you build this thing and it appears to be successful and it's going to be this, this cool thing that you have now. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be working, but at the same time, there's all these, like, you don't know, well, I don't know what I don't know. So <laughs> you go into and you're like, somebody said, uh, my the guy I know that's a beekeeper said, you need to feed them throughout the winter so that they, because they're, as it's cold, they're not going to leave the hive as much to go get new stuff to feed the hive. So you have to put this little container on the top inside that's full of sugar water, and that gives them a water source and gives them sugar to build you know, to use. And so I just Google this like bee feeder. So I find this inexpensive little Peter, this little feeder. That's exactly what he described, bought it, put it on there. It works, but then, and it's called a no drown feeder. So it's this little cup so that the bees can climb up, climb down into the water, drink some of the water. Then they climb back up and go back into the hive. So theoretically, they shouldn't be able to drown because they're climbing up the surface. So I I fill it up. I go back in a few days, and there's like tons of dead bees in the bottom of this little ring. They're drowning what? in this no-drown feeder. <laughs> so it's like I didn't know why that was. I didn't know what to – I didn't know it was going to happen. And so then I'm going on this like, well, did I get the wrong kind of feeder? Is there another type that works better? And then you know, as soon as you look for something about beekeeping online, you find a flood – of opinions and polar opposite results from people like mm-hmm. don't ever use those feeders. And then this other guy's like, I've always used them. I've never had a bee die. You know, it's that kind of <laughs> thing. And so basically what I figured out was that I think the plastic of this little feeder is too slick and they they can't climb back up. So the simple solution was take some sandpaper, rough up the plastic, put it back down and see if they can climb out. 
and not die. So it's like little things like that that actually affect the population of the beehive, which seems like kind of a big deal. But I wouldn't have known to sand this piece of plastic before I put it in there until it, I saw it not working. So I think it's going to be a lot of that. I think it's going to be a lot of like watching stuff go wrong and then asking somebody about why it went wrong. Cause I don't even know what to look for. I don't know what to do ahead of time, you know, to prepare for them and give them the best chance. Uh, I mean, we got a beekeeping book uh, that seems kind of holistic of the entire, like the whole process. And so I'm trying to go through that a little bit at a time just to familiarize myself with Ultimately, ultimately, you're trying to get honey out of this, right? You're trying to get these things so you yeah, can bring the yeah. honey out. That's the ultimate goal. And, yeah. and they build these, they build those wax combs on your frames. Mm-hmm. What do you give them as a starting point? So, well, we started by moving the existing combs that they had into those frames, mm. and you suspend them in the middle of the frame with rubber bands, uh, and so then they build from that they connect that piece that you put in there to the frame and then they start filling up the frame. And then once they fill one up, they go to the next frame next to it and they start filling that one up and they just keep doing that. It's crazy. They even will, once they get it stabilized within the frame, they'll chew through the rubber bands to get rid of them, to get them out of the hive. And then they drag them out. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? A bunch of bees dragging like a big old rubber band out of the bottom of the hive. (laughs) Bees are crazy. But yeah, so they, you kind of move them in and then they stabilize it and then they build from there. So that's the point that they're at now. But it's also getting so close to winter that they're going to stop trying to expand and build and they're just going to try to maintain. So they're going to mm. you know, make sure that they have enough heat and enough food to last. Um, so anyway, it's a big learning thing and it's pretty exciting and I'm learning a lot of stuff. But I just kind of wanted to give an update for the people that were asking and I'll continue to update as things change. But have they tried to go back into the house where they came from? A little bit, oddly enough, because now it's pretty far away. But um, we finally had some rain yesterday, which is the first rain we've had, I think, since July or June, maybe. Like, it's been really, really dry. But so as soon as it started raining, the bees that were typically that were usually flying around and going back to the new hive started flying to the house. And I don't know if that was just coincidence or if they, hmm. I don't know. But there were a bunch of them trying to go back into that little hole in the side of our house, which is not there anymore. So they would kind of land, walk around and get frustrated and fly off. And then 10 more would come and do the same thing. And so but they've given up on it for the most part. So anyway, that's B update for October 7th. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, I don't know. I've just kind of been doing stuff. We, we've been working on a Halloween project that should be out this week, probably. And um, working on some kind of big renovation preparation stuff for later in the year. So nothing terribly interesting to show or talk about, but we've been busy, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing as cool as going to California or having a blacksmithing class. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, Man, I had so, okay, I wanted, to, I wanted to point this out. So Jimmy yeah. and I shared a stage in Louisville at the Maker Fair a while, a couple weeks ago. I don't know when that was. It feels like forever ago. And we were talking about tools and about how, how he just got his like 105th bandsaw or whatever it was. (laughs) And (laughs) he made the, the comment, we were talking about him finding stuff, him finding these tools, like at just random like auctions and people will just tell him about things and whatever. And he made a comment (laughs) that said, (laughs) <laughs> about a bridge port. We got talking about bridge ports. And he was like, you're always wishy-washy about whether you want a bridge port or not. And as soon as you say that you actually want one, people will start trying to get them to you. They'll find, you know, if they come across one, they'll, they'll know that you, they need to contact you. So this is my Jimmy Duresta approved <laughs> official oh, announcement yes. ah. that I would like a bridge port. <laughs> That's it. You're going to get three right? of them. Do you want three or four? Okay. Tell him any one. No, him. just just one is good. One okay. is good. Um, and I'll go back to my same hesitation that I've had in the past about that. It's like, I don't know. Somebody goes, hey, yeah, I have one. It's in my barn. You know, it it's the, these colors and has this thing and it's eight feet taller than the rest of them. And on its side, do you want that? And I'll go like, I don't know. 
I know nothing about them. I don't know like what's right, what's wrong, what to look for that doesn't, you know, like what's a big red flag, that kind of thing. So I think that's been my hesitation with going out to try to look for a tool that I'm, I don't really know anything about. I don't know what the pitfalls are. Most Um, likely you're going to find one that's three phase and you can get a VFD, which is an easy fix. Mm -hmm. VFDs are really easy now. I'm not saying they're easily, they're easy to install because I personally have never done it. I've always had an electrician do it. But a VFD goes from a 220 outlet, makes a three-phase machine work. And so you can easily get that as a bridge between what you apparently, what you have available versus what the machine needs. And yeah. there's, there, you'll, you'll, you have an option. You'll get, you'll get some choice. You'll look around, you get some choice. Sometimes there might be, hey, it's free, but it's in the basement of like a three-story walk down. You know, you don't want that. Or it's, mm. hey, it's right here. It's on my, it's in the loading dock and that might be a good one. And you figure it out. And then you make a video yeah. about moving it. And then you make a video about putting it together. And then you make a video about making something. The best thing about it is it's like, do you ever have a drill press and it stalls on you? You're like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you, you, you overpower, you over have over expectations and it slows down or, or it deflects or these, a bridge point won't do any of that. You could slow it way down. Mm-hmm. So you could drill a big hog hole you could slow it down to 80 revolutions a minute, which is super slow. Well, you know, you could side cut with it. There's a lot of cool things. It's it's kind of like I, I, it's like the table saw of a machinist shop. You know, some most machinist hmm. shops have it just there, just in case they need to tweak something or you know. But most not most of the machine shops these days are all CNC. But it's always there. It's like a table saw. It's like there when you need it to do something. And that's, yeah. and you know, when you, when you have it, you'll find simple reasons, especially like you want to do like a, you want to slot something in a piece of wood and it's with a really super thin curve, you know, that holds super thin sheet metal, a, a curve thinner than say a table saw. You could set it up to do that. You could have it work on wood, huh. plastic, you know, it's not, not necessarily just for metal. I think in a, in a maker shop, you could use it for a lot of things. Yeah. And now you're going to get one. I said, I said to Bob is because <laughs> He's, he said it because <laughs> Bob's always like, yeah, because then when somebody sees one available, they're like, yeah, I don't want to, you know what? Yeah, I don't want to bother. Him. But he's like, I want one. And then you get one. <laughs> Still not entirely sure I believe you, but I'm saying it out loud so that maybe you'll be right. Um, but if there, anybody knows of one, there were a couple, the area, there were a know. few, like, I mean, even at that point, there was one here in New York, but it was too complicated to get. And yeah, I know that you had a couple offered to you for, again, varying stages of comp- complication to get them or logistics that all plays in, you know, soon there's yeah. going to be like a, there's going to be this like technology where, you know, how you can like Google, you go and you Google and like Google finds anything anybody actually put up and posted. There's going to eventually be technology where it's like you think to yourself, okay, a, a bridge port is this many, you know, kilos of steel. And it, there's like certain detectable nature about these things that are similar. And you're going to have your ray gun and you're going to like point it around the neighborhood. And then that machine is going to be available. You're going to be like, you're going to know who has what. Like crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking everybody? about invasion of privacy here, but no, hey. it's going to happen. I mean, I'm not saying it's good or bad, <laughs> but this way you could drive around and you could like point your ray gun at your neighbor's house and say, "Oh, he's got a giant, massive <laughs> chunk of steel in that house. It can only be a bridge port because it's this many." You heard it here of- first, everybody. The future is ray guns, <laughs> ray guns, and googling <laughs> X- X-ray, X-ray guns. Oh, oh, X-ray guns. Yeah. Okay. No, we would, we would talk, me and a couple of friends, I can't remember exactly where we had this conversation. It was just a few days ago. I can't remember who I was talking with, but we were talking about trying to detect a gun. And, oh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Smarter Every Day did that video. Yeah, Dustin did the video about, like, the gun being visual. Maybe that's what prompted this conversation. But I talk about this often, like, as an invention, and, and I don't think it's something I thought of. I think it's just out there, which is why I'm thinking about it. A gun has a certain weight and a certain volume and a certain... So you, that, I think that that can be measured. If it's not yet able to be measured, it will be. So like, for instance, when helicopters fly over houses, they can detect heat. They could see what house has a grow room and which house is just a regular normal house. And 
they can see what human beings are in the dark because it can detect heat. So that's one version of eventually there'll be machines that can just detect masses of density. And it's probably going to be shooting some poisonous ray gun at you to figure out what that mass of density is. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. And I'll shut up. I feel now. like that's can't argue that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's probably already something that can detect large mass. I don't know how large it would have to be to be detectable. But, well, density, huh. you know, obviously in the, in, the, in the airport, you walk through those things. But there's got to be ones that you could either point at a house or a person and see who has what on them. I mean, if not, not yet, they will be. And then that's how you mm-hmm. can go around and see if there's a bridge port in your neighborhood. You knock on your door, you're like, hey, I know you noticed you have a bridge port in your basement. I swear I wasn't looking. <laughs> My expert. You don't want one that's in a basement, a though. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I just saw that you had a bridge port on the back of a truck somewhere. That's the one I want. Yeah. The one that they can Already on me. a truck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's where I store it, on the back of a truck. So if anybody anyway. has a bridge port on a truck, yeah. contact Bob. The, we're going to narrow the field a little bit. Yeah, if it's on a truck, already ready to go. Um, yeah. Anyway, we kind of had a topic. Didn't we have a topic? Yeah. Our buddy Clive sent an email saying, I was wondering whether you've ever taken on a project which you expect you can't complete to your own high standards. And I've given this a little thought. And maybe this is me playing it safe, but I can't think of anything in the past where I'm like, I can't complete this to my own standards, but I am taking on the go-kart chassis project over the winter. And that is something that is completely out of the realm of what I know. And so I'm going to, that's, that's the only way I can relate to this question. I I have a little bit of welding knowledge. I need to get a, a tube notch cutter. So I've never used that. I don't know if that's easy or difficult, but I'm going to find out. And then I also need to bend the tubing. So I need to get a tube bender and I've that's, I don't know if that's easy or hard either. So that's something I got to figure out. And I've also learned over the weekend, my buddy Eric from Cutworks was like, those things need to be fastened to the ground, the tube benders, because it can't move because of the transfer of energy. So I got to figure out a way to like, and they take up a lot of space because you need room to, to, bend these tubes. So I think I need to figure out a way to fasten it to the middle of the garage and then just swag off-road swag off-road. They sell all these tools and they're, yeah. YouTube, they're YouTuber friendly swag off-road. They've sent me stuff in the past. Thank right. you guys. And uh, tell them what you want to do. And I'm sure there'd be, if you contact them, I'm sure they'd work with you because like I said, they, they understand the marketing capabilities of YouTube. They might be mention my name. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them I yeah. said. So I, I learned that the, that the tube bender needs to be fastened to, to the ground. And I don't have room to fasten one to the ground. So I might have to come up with like a drill holes uh, in the middle of the garage so I can temporarily fasten it and then slide it over when I'm not needed because I don't have a dedicated space for it yet. But so that's a project like I was I was waiting for my my family makes race cars like they are expert fabricators, tube bending, welders, all that. I was waiting for them to talk me out of doing this just because of my lack of knowledge, but they didn't. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Go for it. So I do feel like I'm I'm in over my head and it could be a failure. It could be an expensive failure because all this stuff is going to be really expensive to buy all the tubing and, and supplies. There's so many steps to it, but it's not going to be a failure. You know what? You might fail. You might fail to complete the project, but you're not going to fail on the project. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I, I think, but I, I do think I'm going to complete it. I really, I, I'm so excited about this that I think I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And if I need help, I'll find somebody in the area that can, that can come and help me. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe I have the, a weird definition of failure, but <clears throat> I honestly feel like failure is like when you stop trying. Because everything we do is a is like I'm going to start this process not really knowing every step of the way and then you figure it out as you go along. You always run up against something that you're not expecting or you're not competent in and you figure out how to step forward through that. And so yeah. even if something goes wrong, it's not failure until you go like, "Well, I'm done." 
<laughs> if it didn't get completed and you quit, then it's a failure. But if otherwise it's, you're still in the process. And I kind of feel like, like this with you is there's a ton of it. You probably don't know, but that doesn't mean that any of those steps along the way are failure points. They're just things that you have to learn and have to figure out as you go along. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think you'll totally complete it. And it'll Thank be awesome. You. So what about you guys? Anything I mean, over your head, I think R2D2 for me is, is that same thing. <laughs> um, usually I don't, I think because I look at projects as I don't usually know every step of something before I start it. I think they're all kind of that way. Like I'm figuring out a lot of stuff as I go along, but the R2D2 one specifically is the only project I can think of where I've purchased a large quantity of it from other people who have made pieces. There's tons of uh, aluminum machined, really intricate pieces. Uh, There's these, I don't know, stuff with like crazy knurling on it and all these details on multiple axis and stuff that I just could not, I don't have the tool set. I don't have the skill. I don't have any of what I need to make those pieces. And so if I were to look at the entire project as (laughs) maybe we'll see if someone shows up on truck. Um, But there was like, there's a ton to that project that I just would not be able to do on my own. So if I looked at it, the whole project as a relying on me and my skills, then I would say it is absolutely something I could not complete by myself. But I'm taking the stance of I want, I, I don't care about the process as much as I care about the final result, about getting the thing. And so the stuff that I know I can't make, I'm buying. And when I can make it, I'm giving it a shot. Um, you know, so I think it's a combination of those things that I don't normally do, but it's getting me closer to the thing that I want. And if I just relied on myself and my own skill set and my own tools, the project wouldn't happen. So I guess it fits into that. Can I ask you a question? Is the R2-D2 a national, what? Is R2-D2 a a national standard shape size? Is there a set of plans that everybody goes by? Because obviously if you're buying interchangeable parts, it's like, interchangeable parts for a specific car model, for instance. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's a website that's kind of the official builders club and they have two sets of plans. One's a legacy and one's a kind of an updated, complete modern, the legacy one's not changed anymore. It's, it's legacy. Um, And so there is a set of standard plan sizes for every piece of it. And so people will machine parts to fit that standard which is kind of crazy. And I was, I was thinking about that in the build recently that I've, there's different materials that you can use to accomplish the same things. There's different pieces, interior and exterior, and you can do any combination of any of those factors and it still will fit together, which is kind of crazy. Cause like I have styrene legs and aluminum body on a styrene frame and I'm putting 3d printed and aluminum pieces on the outside of it. And that stuff all fits it's pretty wild that that is possible, you know? Um, Cause you kind of feel like all the tolerances of 3d printing were probably necessary for all the 3d printed parts to work together, but the spec has been figured out enough and people stick to it closely enough that you can interchange parts and it's really cool and <laughs> convenient for somebody who's trying to piecemeal it together by all these different, you know, methods. So hmm. yeah, for me, that, you, Jimmy? The, the, I would, Probably like the most recent example would be the canoe. I jumped into the canoe. I mean, I had that kit for three years before I started it. So that right there tells you that I was insecure about jumping into that project. And when I finally jumped in, I was still quite nervous. I knew like ahead of me, there was a few things that I was always nervous about, like gluing the gunnels on. That's the big, long strip of ash wood. It's about one inch by one inch square with the, the gussets. Is it gussets? Or scuppers cut into it, the little grooves. And having that stretch in a compound curve from the inside tip of one end of the canoe all the way to the other and having that fit perfect on both sides and stretching and doing that alone with glue all over it. I've seen people do that. And in my mind, I was like, oh, that looks like something that I probably wouldn't be able to do cleanly because precision is not really part of my DNA. And I did it. It didn't fit perfectly, but then I, I fixed it. And I fixed it. I was able to disguise what I did badly. And then recently when I was up at the canoe event, 
with the guys in Ontario, I looked, there was a lot of canoes there. So I looked and I see everybody had a lot of the same issues I had and they fixed it in varying various ways to cover up the same mistake that I made. And I guess it's not as much of a mistake as it's just a, a first time builder's common problem. And next time I know to leave more wood so that I could adjust it in place. And that was the problem is I cut it to a size I thought was the right size. And I cut them both too short and I ended up with a little gap at each end, which again, I was able to cover up. And so jumping into the canoe was for me very intimidating. Uh, I was worried about doing the epoxy. I was worried about doing the the mesh. I was worried about doing the final finish. I was worried about doing the seats, like all these things that I felt were out of my skill set or beyond my skill set. But I also had the confidence of, let me just worry about that one thing when I can focus on it. I can only focus on this part because this part has to be done long before that part. So it was just like, it was out there. It was like a post-it note in my brain, like, oh, you're going to have to deal with this eventually. But while it was working, I was focusing as much as I possibly can to do the best job I can on that part that I was actually focusing on. So I had all these nervous anticipations that I just tackled one at a time. And I was really insecure about my canoe, but then when I went and looked at other canoes, I see canoes that are done more, uh, I guess, I don't want to say worse than mine, but I see mistakes in other people's canoes having built one that I wouldn't have seen hadn't I built, had I not built one. So when I went to that event, I was looking at all levels of like, okay, this poxy looks good from a distance. You get up, you see some of the problems and some of the problems that I, I also had. So I was, I was right where I should have been for first time canoe builder is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> but I also, I also had a little bit of an advantage having so many experiences with various different techniques that I was able to apply. So. Was there a point through that process where you kind of like turned a corner and was like, oh, yeah, I got this? Like, or, or was it kind of like every step had that same anxiety to it? No, actually, uh, you know, when I put me and my cousin, my cousin John helped me put the mesh on. And when we got the mesh on, I stepped back and I'm like, okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And then when me and Brett popped the, the mold off and we flipped it over and I did the inside one with Taylor, I was like, okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And that was kind of the saying that just kept happening. Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And when I put the in, inner gunnels on, that was that was the big pain in the pain in the butt. And once I got those glued in place, I like sat back and I was like, oh, wow, all right, the hardest part is behind me right now. Now I just have to sand and clean clean. And yeah. It was uh, just a, a series of just small hurdles. And again, trying not to make the biggest mistake I see with a lot of people working on something for the first time is they look at the entire project and they go, oh my God, I think I could do all that. And you can't do all that. You can only do what is important at that moment in time in the process. So if you small just hurdles. if you just do those small goals, small hurdles, as you do them, eventually all those make up the sum of the whole part. So if you're overwhelmed by something, everybody as I am, you got to just do that one part that is before you right there and then. And then put that behind you in this. It's like the old saying, put one foot in front of the other. Mm. Yes. Yes. Just kidding. Very much. It actually means something. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of thinking through a similar thing. And I have that same anxiety that you're talking about of like good grief. That's a lot. Because remember, I was talking a couple weeks ago about the A-frame cabin, about how it'd be so awesome to build an A-frame cabin on the farm. And when I start, I've tried to think through that process, and it seems like so much. I mean, I've never built an, an entire structure from top to bottom. Well, bottom to top, I guess you have to work up on those things. But <laughs> I've never done that. I've always done pieces of it. And I've probably done all the pieces of it, but just not bottom up. And so when I got to thinking about like, you know, instead of just a bathroom, I could go ahead and put a bedroom on it. And then I maybe put a little kitchen on the front of it. And then I'm building a cabin and I'm like, good grief. Like that's, it's too much. Like I can't build a cabin. I can't, but then you're right, Jimmy, if you think about, obviously you have to plan the entire thing, but if you think about the actual work of this step to the next step, it becomes a lot You can't build a cabin, but you can build a truss. Exactly. 
yeah, you can build a foundation, you can build yeah. a platform, you can build some walls, you can put some insulation and in, you can do all those things. And so, uh, I mentioned earlier, some renovation stuff we're working on. It's the same kind of thing where it's, it's a very big interconnected mess of stuff. Like it all has to be figured out ahead of time. And so we're at the point now where we're starting to think through all those details and we'll get really far down a road and go like, well, wait, if we do this, then we have to basically go back and start over and make, you know, account for that all along the way, moving plumbing and moving all this type of stuff. And, um, it can be a little overwhelming, but I think Jimmy, you're, you're totally right. Like do the best planning you can possibly do and then be willing to shift and be willing to take it one step at a time and just kind of figure it out as you go. You know? And then you can but always go I, to other YouTube. Other than the, that's true. There are some people in, that post how tubes on YouTube. How tubes? No, when I built my canoe, that I, there was a couple of video series I kept referencing just to see how they did it. And I was like, okay, well, he's a first timer. He's showing his process. I know I can handle this now. And you know, just yeah. develop you develop your confidence a little bit at a time. You might not get it all at the same time. You might not get it all before you start. You might not still have it by the time you're done. But as you slowly look back, like now it's been a year since I finished my canoe and I pulled it down off the ceiling the other day to show somebody that came over here. And I was looking at it, I was like, well, it's pretty good. A pretty good job. But while I was in it, I was really insecure <laughs> about it. And, you know, but yeah. Sometimes then, then sometimes you got to like just that? say you got to just tell yourself, all right, this is my learning experiment. This is this is the first time you know, to get good at anything. You got to do it at least once. This is my my training ground. But looking back, my training ground is really really well done. As you know, in hindsight, what'd you say, Bob? Yeah. What's your next thing like that? What's your next big? I've never done this before, but I've oh, really uh, me and my me and my buddy Mike, who's my my neighbor here in town, we're going to try and build a hot rod. You know, so I've never really taken that tackled all those different aspects of assembling a car, the electrical, the brakes, and the, you know all this new stuff, interior stuff. I've done little bits of it over my life, but never all in one project at one time and trying to get it done. But it's a rat rod, so that's fun because you have a lot of leeway just to be experimental and not too uptight about things being perfect. So I think it's the perfect opportunity for me to get into that. And uh, we found, I, I keep finding cars, but they don't work out. We found the 1947 Cadillac with absolutely no interior, no mechanics. It's just a body with doors on a frame with wheels. And it's got no brake system. It's hmm. got no engine. It's got no interior. It's got no windows. So do you have any um, wow. perfect candidate yeah. thoughts on changing the body and giving it that Jimmy DeResta look? No, no, no. Just like we would just be more apparel and uh, uh, accessories, like you know what we would gotcha. use for the windows and what, you know, like because it's it's an old car, so most of the glass is flat. And uh, in the forties, a lot of the glass was flat, so we could put in. I can. Put, I was thinking about like doing like wired glass, so it looks kind of like industrial, prisony, you know, like post-apocalyptic <laughs> man, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and that was just. When I was a kid, my friend, his dad used to take two cars and combine them. So like a Cadillac and the bed of a truck and just do stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I didn't think much of it then. But now looking back, I'm like, man, I should have dove into Hmm. that a little bit more and see what was going on. Because now that sounds super cool and awesome. I've been wanting to make a Cadillac into a pickup truck for a really long time. And it's not a new invention. They made them. There was companies that coach builders that made Cadillac pickup trucks. And I've talked about it on the other podcast and I've talked about it for a while. I just haven't been able to find a local candidate. I mean, there are cars available. I just don't want to go five states over to get a car when it's not a it's not a pressing pressing project. I'm just hoping to find a good candidate nearby. There's a specific year and model I want. And if I tell the audience I want a 1978 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, <laughs> gold with a black top. I want the Phantom Edition 1978-79 Cadillac Coupe de Ville delivered to me. And you will be rewarded handsomely. If it's I was going to say, what you really need is an x-ray gun that you could go around and go <laughs> to people's houses, and it could see Cadillacs That's, in their backyards. You know, you laugh, but my ray gun's going to have a programmable thing. It's going to say Cadillacs in this body oh. style. And then, like, I know everyone thinks I'm crazy and that I have a tinfoil hat on, but... They're like, what are things that are like consistent, like the weight and shape and density of a Cadillac? 
is the same. Like that year model make is basically the same within a varying degree of say, maybe five to 10%. And you could take that and measure it, it's mass. Now I sound like Terrence Howard. You could take that flower and unwrap it <laughs> and measure it and program it. And then when you point your flower I ray just, gun, you could point it at someone's garage and it could say, oh, no, 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 that's not a calic. That's a, that's a 1980 Bonneville. You don't want that. I just pictured this retro futuristic gun with like a star knob on it. And then and there's like Bridgeport, the Cadillac. Yeah. Bandsaw, Bridgeport. Yeah. It's just got a knob with like five options on the back. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's called the Hoarders. Four the Hoarders, Cadillacs and a Bridgeport. <laughs> the Hoarders Discovery Tool. Is it? <laughs> now, actually, what's kind of funny is that it is totally within the realm of possibility for somebody to build machine learning that could, like, as cars were coming into a junkyard or through anything, for a camera to see them. And know exactly what they are based on being trained by, you know, the shapes of cars and the details of cars. And so you could easily have a junkyard that had a setup. As a car came through a certain place, it got photographed. The computer could understand what it was, what yeah. it had on it, yeah. at least mm-hmm. on the outside. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's, what Dustin's so that, video, that's what Dustin's video is about, uh, about the gun yeah. being able to recognize, yeah. the c- camera being able to recognize the gun and, and the gestures and, the, and the, the various aspects of of it. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. But how, imagine uh, if this... If this yeah. I mean, imagine if Jimmy's invention had this density detector and it knew, like, even under the hood, like, oh, there's a carburetor on there. So that goes right into the, mm. you know, the, the computer spreadsheet of what parts are on this car. So you go to that junkyard and I, I need a 1978 Cadillac, whatever. And it's it's right Phantom. there. Like, yeah, Phantom. go to Phantom. aisle four, bay three. Yep. Yep. If anybody in the tri-state area or like South Jersey, Connecticut, whatever, Pennsylvania area has... A 1978 Cadillac or 79 Cadillac that's not like bright green or some other hokey color that they came in. Hit me up. You could paint anything. Nah, but you know, the like they made these hokey colors like bright green with like a bright green interior, like these ugly colors. So, oh. you know what I mean? So, like, the state, like a good color would be like a saddle interior or, I mean, saddle or white. You know, those are kind of classic y. But black uh, interior, mm. black Cadillac interior always looks Classic. scrappy and crappy. But <clears throat> you know, you know, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. you know. So, David, is there, is there anything you want to ask the audience for? <laughs> Since we're just throwing it out there and expecting no. people to find us stuff, I don't have the footprint to ask for anything right now. Okay, ask for footprint. If anybody has oh, yeah. a uh, yeah. huge amount of space they want to give David. You can bring it I'll on a truck. It. No, Dave, 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 Dave. You need a pipe notcher. You need a pipe bender. I do. You need a welder. I do. You need go-kart parts. <laughs> Go ahead, say it, say it, say it. <laughs> um, I need advice. How about that? <laughs> Tweet me advice. Uh, I'll say it for him. If anybody has any of those tools that he needs <laughs> and doesn't want them, go throw them at David because that would make his project easier to do. Thanks, guys. Swag off, yeah. road. That's true. I can't um, begin to explain how excited I am for this go-kart build. Like, I... It's going to be so fun. Like, yeah. when I watch uh, people do the tube bending and the and the notching of the tube, on, they make it look easy. And I get, I get comments all the time of like, oh, I made this thing that you made. You make it look way easier. It's because I'm editing the video and showing the success. So I'm... I'm I'm setting my expectations, but I'm hoping it's as easy as it looks in other videos. Right. Is there a, not, a particular part Is there a particular part of that build that stands out as like this is going to be the really hard part or this is the scary part or whatever? Yes, there's a part of the chassis that has two bends in it, and so having that compound bend could be difficult. Right. And if it is too difficult, I can just do angled butt joints, I think. But I think the more efficient way is to do the the two bends on on these pieces. So I'll figure it out. I've got to before I can actually get started. I need to order some of like the the rear assembly and the steering stuff, so I have that there with me, and I can 
build build around those things. Right. Gotcha. Well, that's cool, man. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to watching it come together. Thank you. Um, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters. Unless you guys got anything else on this? No. No? No? Okay. Big thanks to our Patreon supporters um, who help us out, who help us do this show. We are grateful for all of you, especially our top supporters. Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Maker in Training, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, BG Workshop, you can make this too, Modern DIY, and Jenny and Davis. Um, but there's a bunch of people that help us out over there, and everybody at every level, even a dollar a show, gets the after show, which is more of us talking. And there's usually secret stuff for like future projects that we're not talking about quite yet on this show. They're usually there in that feed. Also, I wanted to throw out, I've said it before, but there are a few people who have trouble finding that feed once they get on Patreon. Once you become a Patreon supporter... On the top right side of your screen, there's a URL that's the RSS feed. That is for the After Show podcast. So you just copy that URL, stick it in your podcast player of choice, and you got it. That's it. Good but it's a, it's a unique URL for each person once you become a patron. So that's what that's about. And there's also Google that has articles from Patreon about how to do that in case it's not where I'm saying it is. You can always look it up, but... It's there. Um, so anyway, big thanks to everybody that helps us out over there. Can I do a entirely shameless plug? Of course. Is that okay? This whole thing is a shameless plug. That's true. So uh, this, I'm talking about the Patreon support for this podcast. For the three of us, the three of us split that money. We pay for the podcast, for the hosting and the editing and all that stuff, and then we split it, right? Um, we've, for I Like to Make Stuff, we've had a Patreon since the day Patreon began. I start. I started my account the day it opened. And over the years, that's shifted from like people supporting to help me uh, actually do it, to pay for tools and pay for material and stuff. It's shifted because I grew a business and now we have like a team and stuff. And so we don't need the support as much as it's a way for us to to connect with people who like what we do. So the long and short of it is, we, over the last year or so, have been trying to figure out how to make Patreon what it should be for us, for I Like to Make Stuff. So we've created this thing called the Maker Alliance. It is our name for the people that are not just supporters, but like kind of members. And so now this is not just Patreon, it's also YouTube membership. But basically we created the member, the Maker Alliance. People can join that through Patreon or through YouTube and we have a whole slew of new rewards. And the majority of it is like uh, they get early access to all the videos. They get special behind the scenes videos. They get all the second channel videos like two weeks before everybody else. There's uh, hangouts. There's a bunch of stuff that we're doing. And we're really trying to beef that up and give those people a lot. It's a kind of a backstage access deal. And so I wanted to throw that out there because we are actively changing what that thing is. And it's not about, you know, help Bob buy plywood. It's it's about, like, if you want more from the team. And it's not just me. It's, like, all four of us. We take turns making a behind-the-scenes video or a, a special Maker Alliance video. So at the four weeks of the month, you get a video from Anthony. You get one from Forby. You get one from Josh. You get one from me, plus all the other stuff. So we're doing a lot of stuff over there. If you're interested, go to allikemakestuff.com slash join. That's my plug. I won't say it again. What? Nice. what was that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're doing one more thing. The, the the top tiers of that actually get to be in, their names get to be in I Like to Make Stuff videos at the end, on the new end screen that we're working on. Mm. So if you actually want to have your name on screen, that's how you do it. Okay, I'm done. Wow. <laughs> I just muted Josh and burped really loud. Poked. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Josh poked me thank, to, no, thank uh, you. to do that. Uh that little ad for us. So I've done it now. All right. You guys got anything else? Uh, did we do, picks? did we do the picks? Oh no, we didn't. I got ahead of myself. All right. What you got? Uh, either one of you. I'm going to go with Wobi design. I, I got to hang out with him over the week and super cool dude. Really creative. He's got a great YouTube channel. A lot of it, a lot of what he makes on his YouTube channel is recycled skateboard stuff. 
So he just goes around to all these skateboard shops in LA, which I've got to imagine there's a ton, and just gets all the broken and recycled skateboards. And he cuts them up, he presses them together, and then just makes really cool stuff out of it. So check it out. I think you're going to like it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to just shout out a book. These guys sent me a book, and uh, I told them I'd tell everybody about it. It's called Reclaim Wood, a field guide from Alan Solomon and Class Armster. And it's a great book about old-growth wood that is being recycled, and there's lots of information. And there's some some crazy pictures in here of beautiful cross-sections of wood. It talks a little bit about where to get it, the value of using old wood. Look at that. Look at all the rings in that. Can you see that? Whoa. That picture is, is a picture of a tree that's over 500 years old. And like that's a, that's a picture of wood that's being used now. Like the rings, you see the difference in growth rings? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Growth rings are like a half inch yeah. apart versus like millimeters apart, a millimeter apart. And just different types of wood. And, and it's got some really great historical information about where old wood is and why we used to use it. So if you're interested, check out Reclaimed Wood, a field guide. There's a... By Abrams Books. Um, there's a lumber supply company in, I think it's like Charmohau, called Kime Lumber. It's If you're ever in this particular area of the of the world, you have to go in because it is, it's like Target, but for woodworkers. Like it is just like... A, no, I think it's IKEA for woodworkers because you walk in and it's just this crazy beautiful building, all these woodworking tools, lots of lumber. But they got this huge, uh, I guess you call it a cookie, uh, just this like huge cookie with, uh, uh, yeah, a thousand rings in there. And then each ring marks like this is when uh, such and such, like the Revolutionary War happened. And then like this is when so and so was born, like marked on, on the rings. And it's wow. really cool. I'll see if I can dig up the photo and put it on Twitter. Yeah, and the Museum of Natural History in America in New York has one of those. Yeah, in New York City. A big cookie and then has the timeline of history on the growth rings. Yeah. Why so can you answer why the, the growth rings on old growth wood is, is tighter than new growth? Uh, I think it's just uh it's because things are better. Because we're just things not letting the trees live then. hundreds of years. Things were better <laughs> back then, yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> I have an answer. No, it's uh, I, I think it's just compounded. It's just compounded. There's just more density because you just have more years undisturbed. What's interesting too is that growth rings. You could look and see like various happenstances in the weather and you know, various incidents. You could see like where there was volcanoes and stuff. It's pretty amazing when you dig into forest fires. You could see where certain aspects of like this tree it might have suffered a forest fire but lived. Cool stuff. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so mine is actually a friend of mine. So my friend Chris lives uh, just down the street from me. And we've gotten to be friends uh, since we moved back. And our kids are friends. And so we got to be friends with the two of them. And he he makes some pretty cool stuff. Uh, he's just a good dude. And he started making YouTube videos. And so I'm kind of trying to surprise him here because he started making YouTube videos. He has like 50 subscribers. And... He's figuring it out, right? He's making some good first videos. Like he's way steps ahead from where I was when I started making videos. And so what I want to do is kind of surprise him with a big rush of subscribers so that he will be motivated to continue to make projects. Um, Because he he makes some really cool stuff and he works in a lot of different things. He's a good dude. So channel's called What We're Doing, What We're Doing Today. Okay. And so if you're listening to this, go subscribe to him and let's just like take his number from 50 something up to as high as we can take it. I think that would be fun <laughs> for him to be caught off guard because I don't know that he listens to the show. Hmm. Could you does. spell it exactly? Because so, a different similar name channel pops up. Uh, well, it's what we we're like contraction, what we're doing today. Um, oh, I see it. I'll put a link to it in, in case because uh, I, I think there is another channel that is similarly named or something. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but go check it out. 
That would be cool. I'd just like to surprise him. Oh, I found it. Yeah, 30 subscribers. Yeah, that sounds about right. 31. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Still and he watches a lot, of, uh, a lot of videos from you know people in our space and everything, so um, he'll get a kick out of it. Yeah, that's what I got. He's got tell, him, tell him he's got to put something in the About section, because right now he has nothing. Mm, okay. Join I'll July him, said. Because yeah. we want to connect. We want to know more about you. <laughs> okay. I'll send him a text right now and tell him that Jimmy Duresta wants to know more about him. That'll yes. be fun. All right. Well, uh, you guys got anything else for this week? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised Jimmy stayed awake. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to yeah. fall asleep during this episode. I'm so tired. Maybe you'll fall asleep in the after show. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. I got secret sleep stuff in the after show. Ooh, secret sleep Ooh. stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Love you.